You know, high blood pressure is really synonymous with the Western lifestyle of sitting down too much, being sedentary, eating too much salt and processed food in your diet, suffering from too much toxic stress, not getting enough sleep. Uh, these are the classic factors for raised blood pressure. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. So this short podcast is all about high blood pressure and high blood pressure is something as a medical doctor that I deal with day in and day out. And blood pressure is something we all have. Really, it is the pressure of blood in your blood vessels. The tubes that bring blood and oxygen around the body is measured in millimeters of mercury and blood pressure is always quoted as two separate figures. The upper figure, which is known as the systolic blood pressure. This is when your heart contracts or squeezes. And this happens every 0.3 of a second. And the second lower blood pressure reading is known as the diastolic blood pressure. And this is the pressure when the heart is relaxing. And this happens every 0.5 of a second. So this process of the heart contracting and then relaxing, contracting and then relaxing, repeats itself continually more than 100,000 times a day. So when you hear somebody talk about their blood pressure being 120 over 80, it means that the Upper figure, the systolic blood pressure reading is 120 and the lower reading, the diastolic blood pressure reading is 80. And of course, your blood pressure varies over a 24 hour period. It generally tends to be higher during the day. It tends to be lower at night when you're sleeping or when you're relaxing or resting. Exercise and exertion can temporarily cause your blood pressure to go up, which makes sense because when you're exercising or exerting yourself, you want to pump blood faster into your muscles that need more oxygen to power the mitochondria in your cells that enable you to move faster and function much more effectively. Similarly, the stress response, the fight, flight or freeze response, that leads to a release of stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And these have the effect of pushing up blood pressure. And while that can be really helpful to enable you to escape a threat, you know, chronic or prolonged stress can lead to toxic stress, which can lead to chronic elevated blood pressure, which of course is not good for your health. So blood pressure is a normal phenomenon. It's part of living. It's part of being alive. But just as too much water pressure can damage the pipes in your home, so raised blood pressure can damage the tubes or blood vessels in your body. And it really is raised blood pressure or high blood pressure that causes problems. And this is a condition that's known medically as hypertension it's very common. It is thought to affect one in every two people aged over 65, perhaps one in every four aged over 50. In fact, over a lifetime, your risk of developing high blood pressure in the Western world is thought to be about 90%. 
typically the prevalence of high blood pressure increases as you go over the age of 45. Though it may be seen in younger people, particularly if there's a family history of high blood pressure or if you're from um, African or American or Caribbean origin. And one of the interesting things about blood pressure from my perspective is that it follows what's called the rule of halves. And the rule of halves means that approximately only one in every two people that have high blood pressure know about it. So there's a lot of people walking around out there with high blood pressure and they don't even know. Secondly, only a half of those people that have it, have it properly treated. And only half of those that get treatment have their blood pressure optimally controlled. So this rule of halves means that only one in every eight people with raised blood pressure gets the proper treatment and control on a 24-hour basis. So how do you know you've got high blood pressure? Well, it's often known as a silent condition because it often has no symptoms whatsoever for maybe 20, 30, 40 years, unless or until complications often very serious complications like stroke or heart attack. Come on. It's all about what gets measured gets improved. It's all about knowing your numbers. And measuring your blood pressure is really the only way to know what your blood pressure is. Something I see a lot as a doctor, and it is very common, is is what's known as the white coat effect. And this is people who may have a fear of going to the doctor. Uh, This applies to many men, but sometimes you do see it in women as well, whereby the effect of going into the doctor's office temporarily causes their blood pressure to go up. And this is known as the, the white coat effect. And that's why we don't decide that somebody has high blood pressure based on a once-off reading. It's good to measure it multiple times. And in fact, the gold standard is what's called a 24-hour blood pressure monitor because that takes multiple readings over the full 24 hours. We'll check it at two in the morning, four in the morning, two in the afternoon, four in the afternoon. And it will give an overall average, not just of what your overall average blood pressure is, what your average daytime pressure is and what your average nighttime pressure is. And in that way, it can sort of compensate for the white coat effect and give a really, really good indication of what's going on. As I like to say, a once-off measurement of your blood pressure is like taking an instant photograph of a two-hour movie. So when you do the 24-hour blood pressure monitor, you get the overall picture of what's going on over the full 24 hours. So what about the causes of high blood pressure? And, you know, high blood pressure is really synonymous with the Western lifestyle of sitting down too much, being sedentary, eating too much salt and processed food in your diet, suffering from too much toxic stress, not getting enough sleep. Uh, These are the classic factors for raised blood pressure lifestyle. Of course, there may be genetic factors, particularly if there's a family history of raised blood pressure. Aging, as you get older, your blood vessels tend to become more rigid and less elastic. It's not as much the aging process per se, but actually the aging of your blood vessels that's more important. In other words, your biological age, the miles on your clock, as opposed to your chronological age. Certainly cigarette smoking damages the lining of your blood vessels. As I like to say it, it often ages your blood vessels by at least 10 years. Raised cholesterol and blood fat can also cause this condition of hardening of the arteries. It's also known as arteriosclerosis, where the tubes bringing blood around your body become less elastic, more rigid, and they become a little bit narrowed with fatty deposits and inflammatory blockages that in time can cause problems in various parts of the body from strokes in the brain to heart attacks to damage to your kidneys and eyes and all of the main organ systems. Diabetes as well causes hardening of the arteries. And, you know, salt 
which is so prevalent now in processed foods particularly, is full of sodium. And sodium causes fluid retention, and sodium also affects complex hormonal pathways that regulate your blood pressure. So too much salt in your diet is really not a good idea if you're interested in not getting high blood pressure. If you're carrying excess weight, and particularly if you've got excess belly fat or a tendency to obesity, that can certainly significantly increase your risk of high blood pressure over time. And an analogy I like to use is that for every extra pound of fat you have, if you were to join up all the microscopic blood vessels that supply that pound of fat and join them all out in a straight line, you'd have an extra mile of blood vessels. So now you can see that if you're carrying an extra 20 pounds, that's an extra 20 miles or an extra 32 kilometers. Every time your heart beats, blood has to be pumped that extra distance. So it can give you a sense of why the pressure would go up over time because the heart is having to pump harder and harder more than 100,000 times a day to get the blood around this extra distance. So it can give you a sense of how there is a connection between being overweight and developing high blood pressure over time. Alcohol, particularly alcohol in excess, and the recommended guidelines now are about 17 units per week for men, 11 units per week for women. There are generally about nine units of alcohol in a bottle of wine and two units in a pint of beer one unit in a standard measure of spirits. So certainly as you exceed those safe limits of 17 units a week for men or 11 units a week for women, your risk of high blood pressure significantly goes up as well as that and separate to it, binge drinking. So drinking all of those units on one or two nights over the weekend, that can also cause you to develop high blood pressure. I mean, I call sleep the, you know, the foundation stone to great physical, mental and emotional health, well-being and vitality. And there's no doubt that sleep deficiency can significantly raise blood pressure over time. And it really is the fact that when you are sleep deprived, in other words, if you're getting less than, for most people, eight hours a night, if you're getting less than that, it means the following day you're living more in that stressed fight or flight state, releasing more stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And these hormones tend to push up your blood pressure to support you as part of that fight or flight response. And I think as well as that, you know, when you're sleep deprived, you do tend to have depleted willpower, reduced self-control, and you will be more inclined to perhaps binge eat on high salt, high fat snack foods, or perhaps you might be more inclined to have those extra uh, couple of drinks. So it can become a kind of a vicious spiral. So certainly sleep deficiency can be a definite factor for raised blood pressure. Snoring is something that's very common, particularly in middle-aged and older people. And, you know, some people that snore develop a very important condition known as sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is where the breathing center in the brain, the automatic breathing center, temporarily shuts off for a few seconds. So somebody's snoring and then there's an, an absence, a silence, and then they, then they come around, they come to and, you know, sleep apnea is associated with a range of adverse health conditions and is particularly closely associated with raised blood pressure. So if you're a snorer, it's something you should pay attention to. As I mentioned, any and all forms of stress, particularly chronic stress, keeping you on that fight or flight state. And when you're in that fight or flight state, you really are marinating in stress hormones like cortisol and living in that stressed state for two long each day and not taking the time 
to recharge from stress, to rest, to replete your energy reserves, to really recharge and really take good care of yourself and really can result in you marinating in stress hormones, which amongst many other things puts up your blood pressure over time. And of course, there are much rarer causes of high blood pressure. There are certain medical conditions, hormonal conditions, for example, Cushing syndrome and other uh, conditions. And some medications, of course, can cause raised blood pressure, particularly somebody that's taking steroids on a long-term basis, perhaps for inflammatory conditions like various forms of arthritis. And you know, long-term anti-inflammatory medication as well can cause raised blood pressure. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So what about the complications of high blood pressure? Well, as I said earlier, Blood pressure is generally a silent condition. There may be no symptoms whatsoever. Some people occasionally may get headaches or nosebleeds, but that's usually when the blood pressure is extremely high. And long term, the main complications of raised blood pressure are as a result of the strain on the blood vessels. So, you know, when blood vessels and tubes bringing blood around the body, when they're under that additional pressure, for a long period of time, they can develop little weaknesses and bulges and little bubbles can form on these blood vessels known as aneurysms. And if those little aneurysms or weaknesses or bulges uh, rupture or burst, that can have a devastating impact for your health. In terms of your heart, it can cause heart attack. In your brain, it can cause a stroke, uh, which is really a brain attack or, or a mini stroke. In your eyes, it can cause visual problems or even blindness. In fact, the tiny blood vessels at the back of your eye are especially vulnerable to damage from raised blood pressure, which is why your optician may well be able to pick up these changes when you get a regular checkup in terms of your eyes, which is really a good idea. In terms of your kidneys, you may suffer kidney damage or even kidney failure. So there's lots of important and serious complications from high blood pressure. So how do we treat high blood pressure? Now, obviously, you know, sometimes medication is needed. And a recent study from the American Heart Association has suggested that if lifestyle changes don't lower blood pressure within six months, then you should consider treatment with medication. So it's important not to ignore high blood pressure. And I suppose the important idea to remember is if your doctor prescribes medication for your raised blood pressure, that's generally going to be a lifelong decision. It's not just something you can stop once your blood pressure is back down to normal. So I really think it's really important to understand what your blood pressure is, why it matters, why you're taking the medication and what the long-term benefits are. So that there is a shared decision here in terms of your commitment to long-term treatment because research shows that, you know, compliance rates with medication and advice are not high. It generally follows the rule of thirds, you know, perhaps only one in every three people that is prescribed long-term medication takes it often enough or long enough for it to have a significant beneficial impact 
on outcome. And I really think sometimes that comes down to knowledge and understanding and communication. Um, so really understanding the importance of taking the treatment, I think, is, is key. But what's even better news is the idea that lifestyle changes, positive lifestyle changes can sometimes prevent you needing to go on medication. And, you know, lifestyle can be the best medicine when it comes to your high blood pressure. So I want to talk about some of these lifestyle changes that can support you in getting your blood pressure back to normal. Obviously, if you smoke cigarettes, you need to stop. As a young person, if you stop smoking cigarettes, the health gains are enormous. You can um, get your life expectancy back to that of a lifelong non-smoker pretty quickly. But even if you're older, even even if you're 70 years of age and you commit to stop smoking, on average, you'll add at least three additional quality years to your life. It's never too late to stop smoking. And there's so much help available. Obviously, in terms of stress, it's really important to have some strategies for your own self-care, strategies to recharge from stress, strategies to whether it's a mindful practice, spending time in nature, whether it's spending time catching up with your friends, watching some comedy, some downtime, some relaxation time. Really, really important. If you're overweight, losing some weight, in fact, losing 10% of your body weight can lower your blood pressure by 10 millimeters of mercury because of that connection between, between weight and the extra mileage in your blood vessels. Obviously, in terms of alcohol, less is more exercise. I call it the greatest pill of all and exercise and movement are a tremendous way to lower your biological age, reinvigorate and revitalize your cardiovascular system and keep the tubes bringing blood around the body more flexible, more elastic and less rigid. An interesting study I read recently is that if you spend your day sitting down, working at a computer, or if you tend to sit down a lot, simply committing to move 10 extra times a day. It might be just getting up every half an hour to stretch your legs, get a glass of water, and literally walking around for 30, 30 to 60 seconds. All those extra micro moments of movement do add up over time. It's been shown it can reduce your blood pressure by 0.3 millimeters of mercury, also reduce your abdominal circumference, lower your blood fat, lower your insulin and blood sugar levels. So the idea here is that small positive changes over time can make a really significant impact to your health, to your well-being, to your vitality. In terms of diet and high blood pressure, there's no doubt that in general, a heart healthy diet focusing on lots of fresh fruit and vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, beans, peas and lentils uh, is the way to go in terms of optimizing your blood pressure. Specifically, though, in terms of high blood pressure, there is a diet called the DASH diet. D-A-S-H. It stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And the DASH diet has been studied by the National Institute of Health in America, and it has been shown it can lower blood pressure. It can lower blood pressure quite quickly, and you may see results within a few weeks. And the DASH diet, which you can look up, focuses really on a high fresh fruit and vegetable diet, low saturated fat, low dairy, uh, low, low foods that are high in cholesterol, uh, plenty of whole grains, nuts, seeds, fish, and clearly limiting sodium, uh, sweets, sugary foods, sugary drinks, 
and red meat. So the DASH diet has significant potential benefits for raised blood pressure. You know, boosting your potassium intake in your diet can also be very helpful for blood pressure. And potassium, again, is found in beans, peas and lentils, fruit and vegetables, leafy greens, sweet potatoes and mushrooms. The DASH diet helps eliminate sodium from your body and has been found to help blood vessels to relax. So it's making those blood vessels and tubes less rigid, more flexible and more relaxed. A recent study from the United States has found that eating flax seeds, ground flax seeds, 30 grams a day, three tablespoons a day of flax seeds can be very beneficial to lower your blood pressure. And flax seeds are freely available and you can spoon them onto your porridge in the morning or put them on yogurt or into soup or stew or, or bake them in muffins or whatever. So flax seeds, very good for your blood pressure. The DASH diet, uh, just mentioning that again, is about eating less than 1500 milligrams of salt each day. And that's about two thirds of a teaspoon. And that's probably less than half of what most people take in the Western world. There's some really exciting evidence about the health benefits of spending time in nature and research from Japan has shown that forest therapy, a two hour walk in the woods, even once a month, lowers the stress response, reduces levels of cortisol and stress hormones and also lowers blood pressure. Mindful practices, including the relaxation response. This has been shown in Harvard University by Herbert Benson. Sitting quietly for 10 to 20 minutes, closing your eyes focusing on a repetitive word or phrase or mantra or prayer and saying it quietly to yourself over and over and over again can be very helpful to reduce blood pressure. There's now a growing amount of evidence about the health benefits of meditation and research from the journal Hypertension has described a number of well-designed studies showing how meditation can modestly lower high blood pressure. So building a meditation practice or building a mindful practice into your uh, life as a habit can be a tremendous way to support positive mental health, positive emotional well-being, and also improve your physical health, including helping to lower high blood pressure. So in summary, high blood pressure is common it's important. It's largely a silent condition. To a large extent, high blood pressure is preventable with positive lifestyle changes. And what I want to say to you is make sure you know what your blood pressure is because knowledge is power, health is wealth, and lifestyle can be your best possible medicine. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com